Hello, everybody. We are back with a new episode of Working It Out. This is your Working It Out uh, host and tour guide, <laughs> Mike Perpiglia. Uh, we are working out new jokes, new material, new stories uh, in real time with creators. I uh, wanted to uh, announce something that's very, very exciting. The uh, paperback version of the new one, uh, my book that I wrote with my wife, Painfully True Stories from a Reluctant Dad, with poems by J. Hope Stein, comes out in pay- on paperback September 7th, and then we're going to do like a live virtual uh, paperback show celebration on September 10th, and we're going to sort of team up with some local bookstores across the country. So, uh, so if you if you go to a local bookstore, tell them to message me on Instagram. I'm at Burbigs, and, uh, and we're going to try to get a bunch of local bookstores involved because you should be supporting your local bookstores. As I always say, I love local bookstores. And uh, But today on the show, we have one of the, the great comedy minds, uh, Judd Apatow, uh, his resume is uh, 100 miles long. Girls, Knocked Up, The King of Staten Island, 40-Year-Old Virgin. I was in his movie Trainwreck. Um, you know, just on and on and on and on. He is, he is something of a legend. Uh, he came to one of my live shows recently. I've been doing live shows. I actually just added some shows in uh, Milwaukee and Denver and Chicago, a whole bunch of stuff this fall. But, but uh, Judd came to one of my shows and uh, as a friend, and he said, hey, I have notes. <laughs> do you want me to give them to you now? <laughs> or do you want me to just come on the podcast? Because that's the premise of your podcast. You're working it out. So I said, well, certainly, I think podcast. So here we are, uh, my conversation, which is really gets into the nitty gritty of craft and creation and jokes and stories and narrative and uh, it's really nerdy, and it's really fun. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Judd Apatow. So uh, this is a very unique episode of Working It Out. Because <laughs> we're here with Judd Apatow, one of the great filmmakers, film producers uh, of this era, uh, and, of, and my friend, who was on the show last summer uh, remotely. Um, and we've been on the phone uh, pretty regularly for, mm-hmm. the, for the last 15 months. We, we talk about the show. Judd listens to the show. And then the other day, uh, Judd came to the live show. Uh, it was at City Winery. I'm doing a whole bunch of shows there through the, through the months of July. And, you know, here, we'll keep an eye out for it, August, September. Um, and... Uh, he had notes, and he called me the next day, and he goes, Mike, I have notes. We <laughs> should do a Working It Out episode, uh, which is v- very presumptuous, John. Presumptuous for me to think my notes are valuable or that they should be aired publicly. I think both. Isn't that the point of the show? <laughs> this is my question. So you have the podcast. Right. The podcast is interviews with people. Yeah. With the frame of you trying to write the next piece, your next theater piece. Uh-huh. And so you try some of the bits on people. Yep. And they also try some jokes on you that they're working on. Uh-huh. But the question is, how deep do you want to go on the podcast? Because you don't want to give away the show. Right. But you want the show to be about developing the show. So then we, we wonder, what's the reason to not give away the show? A hundred percent. And I was talking to Neil Brennan about this, a similar topic the other day having to do with generosity between comedians and artists. So like he was saying like, if you have a tag for your friend, why not give them the tag? You know, it's, it, he said, it's almost a moral imperative because it's not your joke. And if you have an idea for them, just give it to them. And you've been a great friend over the years. You've given me notes on my shows and my movies. And, uh, and, and actually I would venture to say, you don't have to name names, I venture to say you've been a friendly, a friend to a lot of film projects and, uh, and shows that you're not even credited on. I mean, it's fun when people show you their work because you don't care that much about it. And as a result- sure. you're not invested in it in the same way. Yes, and so you don't, you feel very free with your creativity and it's an interesting aspect to it, which is if I'm making a movie, yeah. 
which I am right now, I'm uh-huh. nervous every second of the day. I'm oh anxious gosh, if yes. it's gonna come out or not. Yes. I wake up from dreams where I'm looking for trims. Oh my gosh, yes. But when I watch your show, because I don't really care, <laughs> I, I have a very clear creative view of it because I don't have that level of, if I don't figure this out, it will destroy me. I understand. And so I'm actually more creative with you than with me. Well, you're, you're riskier with other yeah. people's work than you are with your own. And um, it's, you know, one of the things I was saying to you when you called me, you go like, I have these notes, let's do an episode. And my whole thing is, yes, let's do an episode, but let's not give away too much for the com- people who are gonna come see the show. This is all in Boston and Austin and Denver and all these places. I mean, I'm gonna, tour- I'm gonna work on this show for another year. You came with Jenny Connor to the show and she goes, I think you're done. And, <laughs> and I go, no, no, I got another year. Well, the funny thing is when you watch the show, it's really funny and you get a standing ovation at the end. Oh, that's nice. And so you've done this thing, which is very smart, which is it's already incredibly entertaining. Yes, and got people, a ton of jokes. People do leave and they go, that was great, it's done. Yes. But you know, when we watch it, we know, well, you're trying to tell a story, you're trying to get some emotional ideas across, there's thematic ideas you're developing. So even though it kills already, it's really not where you want it to be yet. I think that's right. And I think the reason why, and this is <laughs> this is what you and I have in common as creators, uh, you're primarily a filmmaker, I'm primarily a creator of these solo shows and stand-up. And the thing we have in common is both of us are attempting to have people come to our thing laugh, which is key, and which happened the other night at City Winery, and then also feel something. And I think your take was, I'm not feeling enough yet. Is that safe to say? Or it's not all lining up. Yes. And the art of what you're doing is you're trying to do things which are confronting for people. Sure. You know, when you talk about health and mortality and how we live our lives, you're asking people to go somewhere deep with you. But you can't really do that for an entire show. So you're, you, there's there's moments. Yeah. So for instance, if you saw the Bruce Springsteen show. Yes, on Broadway. You know, it's funny and there's great stories and some of it is light. And then suddenly he's talking about Vietnam. Yes. And he takes you there. And then it gets light and he tells stories. And then suddenly he's talking about Clarence Clemens and what the relationship yes. was. And how he passed away, yeah. And so you can't hit people with a hammer the entire time. You're trying to figure out when is the moment I have these grace notes. Yes and these revelations. Yes. So yes, it's entertaining and it's how do you, how do you, how do, you do that? And the, the example I always think about uh, is, I always think about the end of Terms of Endearment. Oh my gosh, yeah. When he, he, he shows- This James L. Brooks the, film, one of my yes. favorite films of all time. Yeah, everyone should see it, but it's, a, you know, it's about a family and at the end, James, uh, Jack Nicholson is with this little boy and he's showing, he's like, you wanna see my pool? And for whatever reason, oh it destroys you. It destroys me. And uh, you know, how do you get is this after, to that? Is for people who don't know, is after Jack Nicholson is really this harsh, harsh character who was a former astronaut and he's like rough around the edges and he drinks and you get the sense like, this guy's not helping anybody. And at the end, you see this nice gesture. Yeah, and it's the whole movie. Yeah. And it's magic. Yeah. It's truly magic. Yeah, a performance of the choice to do it. You have a sense that that's going to happen again? Yes, that he's changed. Yeah, he's changed. Off of one sentence. Yes. Let me show you my pool. I'm sure oh. I'm quoting it wrong. But in all of these projects, you're, you're, you're hoping something like that happens. Yes. In, in the writing, in the performing, in the execution. So, I mean, it's really fun to watch your show and wonder... You know, where should you do it? Yeah. How would you do it? Because when I watched it, I just thought these digressions are so important because you can't be on it the whole time. So you have a section about wrestling (laughs) in high school. (laughs) Yeah. Which makes my brain explode because the humiliation of being bad at sports affects you the rest of your life. For sure. (laughs) You know, there are people who are great at sports and they have a certain confidence in themselves, a quarterback or just someone who played well. And then there were these kids who were nerds, but they were kind of good at sports. They were scrappy. Yeah, yeah. And then there were people like me. I wouldn't say I was just terrible. I was. I, w- I would choke. You know, I'm yeah. the person that's gonna. 
I could be, it could be five zero in tennis and yeah. I'm gonna lose the set. Yeah, yeah. Somehow. <laughs> and it affected how you felt about yourself. Yeah. So when you talked about being on the wrestling team, being bad, not even wrestling almost ever, and telling a story about finally having yeah, to wrestle. Yeah, one of the jokes, I won't give you the whole thing, but it's like, I go, I was in the 152 pound weight class and they paired me because I was so bad with our team's 102 pound wrestler. <laughs> and he would pin me multiple times per practice. It was like a paperweight being pinned by paper. <laughs> and that's, what, and it's true. This guy, Pete Kwan, yeah. and he was a phenomenal wrestler. He pinned me every day. And it was like, he's 50, he's 50 pounds lighter than me. <laughs> and they're just throwing you to him as chum. Yeah. But I always wondered, because my friends wrestled, yeah. Why they wrestle. <laughs> why they wrestle. So sure. Why is this the sport? Why do you like doing this? Why do you like grappling like this? It's so one-on-one. -on -one yes. Uh, and it's one of the hardest sports yeah. you could ever do. But the idea that what interested me, which I didn't think you'd spend enough time on, yeah. is the decision to do it and the decision to not quit when you're clearly terrible at That's it. That's hilarious. And what do you think yeah. it's, what signal is it sending to your Fellow students, because we only do things to get them to like us or think we're masculine or to change our reputation. What did what did, signal did you, did you think you were sending to everybody that's, by remaining on the team? That's right. First of all, first of all, great question. And 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 to contextualize this this question, my director Seth and I would describe what you're saying as like a dramaturgical note which is to say that you watch the show and you go, I have some questions. <laughs> and then the questions hopefully lead to maybe some material that ends up filling out the show and giving it more depth. And I feel like I, if I were to guess on your film, when you're producing films, you ask a lot of questions like this from the from your filmmakers you're working with. Well, it's it's most of the work. Yes. I feel like the, you know, the jokes are hard and the story construction is hard, but really once you get to the core questions, yeah and you define people very deeply, then hopefully sparks fly, comedy flies, because yep. you've, you've, you've thought about the 40-year-old virgin. You've sat in a room with Steve yes. Carell for 100 hours and yeah. talked about his personality and his history and why he's in this position yes. and how he feels when he's around people. And then, then suddenly you could put him in any situation and you know what he's gonna do. I, it's funny you should bring a four-year-old virgin because I'm going to circle back to that in a second. But first, I'll answer your question about wrestling, which is I think the reason I didn't <laughs> quit is twofold. One, my brother Joe had convinced me to join the wrestling team because he had wrestled. He's four and a half years older than me. And he told me it would build character. And I didn't even really know what that <laughs> meant. How old are you? I was like 15 years old, you know. And you, and you wanted character. I guess so. I mean, it's amazing how like you don't even really clock what these things fully mean. I, I associated character with giving birth or joining the army and I knew I wasn't gonna join the army and I thought giving birth would cause permanent damage to my penis. And, uh, and but, but it was character. And then here's why, that's why I joined. Why I didn't quit was that Coach Shan, <laughs> Bill Shan, real name, if it's if I use it, I'll come up with a fake name. Uh, is uh, he was just real tough, and he was mm. real like the, it was inconceivable. And he was nice, but he was yeah. tough, stern. And <laughs> I thought I can't, I could never tell him. Like he'd I, get. I can't too, be a bailer on this guy. No, like I, he'd get too mad at me. That's how I felt when I worked at El Torito. <laughs> What's El Torito? <laughs> It was a Mexican restaurant and I was bussing tables there in high school. And the, and the manager, Jorge, just liked me. And he was just nice to me. He seemed happy to see me. Yeah. Like he got a kick out of me. You know, when you're a kid and you're 16, th that the seems grown -up like person a 50-year-old man. Out of you. Yeah, 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 yeah. He might've been 24 right, years right, old. Right, right, sure, yeah. I, who, we'll never know. All grown-ups are the same yes. age when you're 16. But I remember being devastated at quitting. Yeah. And... And he looked devastated. Oh my god. Like gosh. he was gonna miss me. And not in a creepy way, just some strange uh, yeah. relationship at El Torito, yeah. which was mainly about refilling the chips and the salsa. Sure, sure. But I, I get what you mean. Sometimes that's all it takes is one person who seems to care a little bit, even though you're terrible, and you can't look him in the eye and go, I don't have it in me to do this. And it's a lot of father themes which run through the show and I'll pitch you a little material later that has some father stuff in it. 
because I talk a lot about my dad in the show and his health struggles and and uh, the way that my family doesn't really say I love you is a big thing that runs through That's the show. That's a big thing. I've heard that from so many people. Yeah. That their parents don't say and, I and love you. And I love you. them and they love me and I get it. But for whatever reason, we just don't say I love you. And it's it's not uncommon. And I, and I wonder if it's a generational thing. I remember I dated this woman and we were going to go on vacation together. I was very young, early, early, early 20s. And I was excited I was going to play the improv somewhere and she was coming with me. And we were on the plane and the plane was kind of empty and she didn't sit right next to me. Like she was taking advantage of the many empty seats. Sure. But it felt a little weird that she wanted that extra space. And then at some point I said, I love you. And she said, you say I love you too much. Oh my gosh, no. And I'm like, what? Yeah, you say it all the time. And maybe I was a young, needy How kid. old were you? I probably was 22, something like, something like so that. So you were getting ahead of it a little bit in the relationship, perhaps. Well, we said it, we but had, we broke up it. like three days later. Oh, wow. But it was brutal. Yeah. But, but it's the flip side of the no one ever says it is right. the someone who says it too much. And man, if you're not into it with someone and they're saying it too much, sure, that is a bit of a, a nightmare. She also said something to me, which was, one day you're going to realize how little you know right now. Oh, and she's right, of course. And it, and it cut so deep because I also that didn't is completely understand it. I just thought that is like a koan, koan or something. I had someone <laughs> say that to me once, a coworker. And the person said, and it cut me, he goes, the problem with you is you don't know what you don't know. I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, Jesus. That's it. He's yeah. right. Yeah, but that's true of everyone at all times, including now. Right, We're of course, we in, all don't know what we don't know. So that's just perfectly mean in a way you can't argue with. Truly mean. Because it's true of them. Stepping away from my conversation with Judd Apatow to send a shout out to one of our sponsors, MeUndies. MeUndies underwear. I'm wearing it right darn now. As we speak, I promise you, I am wearing MeUndies. Look, you know how I feel about ads. I really, I've reached out to companies where I like the thing, and so... I, I get to have more of the thing. And then I don't mind telling you that you should get the thing. Uh, MeUndies are designed to be the softest thing on the planet. MeUndies' signature micromodal fabric literally grows from trees, making their undies not only super soft, but also sustainable. They offer different cuts, because we've got different butts. I didn't write that, but that's a, that's a true true statement. We've got different butts. Uh, to get 15% off your first order, free shipping, and 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash Perbigs. That's MeUndies.com slash Perbigs. And now, back to the show. One thing I have to call out is that, so you said, let's do notes on the show. And I go, well, we have to be careful because last time we did a podcast together, my other <laughs> podcast, the old ones, in a review, and I'm not going to say the reviewer's name, I'm not going to say what the review was, in a review of the new one, my last show, the Broadway show, um, the reviewer quoted you <laughs> saying, Mike, you're not nice. Everyone thinks you're nice, but you're not nice. And <laughs> what's amazing about that is the reviewer used it sort of against me and said, that's the problem with the show. Mike's not nice or something like that, whatever it is. And what's fascinating is, is that, and you and I have talked about this at length, comedy actually isn't about being nice. Comedy is about conflict and calibrating conflict with um, humor and a journey of some kind. And I, I think, I mean, that's, yeah. that's really paraphrasing something, but so, so to say someone's not nice is like, well, what else? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I first of all, with distance, yes. and the success of the show, yeah, that was a review of the Off Broadway Off Broadway show was an early version, yeah. yep. With distance, it's hysterical. It's a hysterical, <laughs> hysterical, vicious 
review. And you remember those your whole life sometimes. Yeah. And we do live in a different world where reviews don't have the impact that they once had. Now it's really like Metacritic or Rotten Tomatoes for sure. movies where it's a, a, people just want to see the number of percentages sure. of good ones. And they won't even read the reviews. No yes. one even reads and they just go, is, they, they want to sense. True. But in the theater, there is still some weight to a few places that can help you get your show going or not going. And that one is so mean because it's 80% positive. And then, then at the end basically says, that I said, Mike isn't really nice. <laughs> and then- And we're friends, <laughs> and you said it like in like good spirits. Yes, I, oh, I, as a total compliment. I meant it generally just more like, that's what works in, in, in Mike's work, the, the presentation of positive, sweet person, but also admitting really dark feelings and, and complex thoughts and problems. Uh, so it was just a, a funny way to say, Mike's not nice, really. He's complicated. Yes. It, it, it's not just like simple and soft and sweet. It's This is dark stuff. But she, she used it as you're truly a bad person. No, truly. And then, uh. and, then also, and then also in it, we won't harp on it, but it's like there's a mention of a moment in the show, which is like the quintessential dramatic and not comedic moment, which is I have a, a really dark night of the soul moment where I think I get why dads leave. And it's, all of my writer friends say, for me, that's when the show becomes a play. Well, also, what it what it doesn't do is it 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 doesn't understand what it takes to admit your darkest thoughts. Yeah. So it's that isn't. It's not like you're saying that's why men leave and they should leave. It's like sometimes when the baby's crying. Yeah. You know, you'll think to yourself. Can I put the baby on the lawn for a few hours oh and take a nap? <laughs> you, you know, you have, you know, you have crazy thoughts. Can I put thoughts. the baby on the lawn for a little while? <laughs> you know, you have crazy thoughts, but yeah. it's really uh, confronting to all your stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's what the show is about, which is everything comes up. I have a baby, all my problems, all my history. Yep. Now I have to deal with it all. Yep. And saying that's why dads leave is they can't handle growing up. Yeah. In that moment, so it. it really felt like a misread of what you're talking about. Right, which, but, of, which of course is something that is on me too. I mean, the reviewer has a yeah. right to that experience and, yeah. and somehow I'm not conveying it. I'm conveying it to most of the audience, yeah. but not to that person. Yeah. So actually it's instructive in that way. Well, that's the hard decision of an artist, which is, do I go all the way there? Did I, is that line too much? Is it? conveying what I wanted to convey, but people are taking it the wrong way. Are, mm -hmm. are, is it hard to get back from that kind yes. of thing? And the difficult thing is in a crowd of 800 people, yep. maybe every night after you soften the line, there's 30 people that are furious. Yep. Maybe because their parent left. Of course. Who yeah. knows what buttons you're, you're pushing with people. But it's always tricky when it's written in a place that affects the success of a show. Yeah, of course. Because you don't know, you, you want to push their buttons. I mean, that's what was interesting about the show, and I think it's why people loved it, is it was a show that says the things that people are afraid to say out loud about how hard a time they're having with some of the issues of having kids. Yeah, and a majority of the notes I get about the show that are personal notes are about that line specifically of people saying, my dad did leave and I didn't grasp it until that moment. And it helped me experience a catharsis, and you know, and so that's, you know, wildly more meaningful to me than someone saying, "I didn't like this part where he's singing. I don't like him. Yeah, I don't like the guy. <laughs> I don't like this guy for admitting this. Yeah, this uh, aspect of uh, this moment for him. Um, so the thing that you. But let's say one more thing. Oh yeah, of course. Some people just don't like some people. <laughs> You're right. You know what I mean? Like we all have You're friends. You're 100 right. We're friends with a lot of comedians. Some of our friends are very successful, and some of them are our friends. But in a way, we don't like them. That's so funny. Or we funny. don't like their stage persona. We might love them off stage and go on stage. That that person's that's the a worst. riot. And I know people watch me and just might really dislike what I do when I'm on stage. And I know there are people that I love, and I have some friends that go like, oh, that guy really, oh, he's so annoying. <laughs> and if, if a thousand people review you, you're gonna hit a couple of those. Of course. And I have that with movies. I mean, yeah. when we did This Is 40, some 
some reviewers, they couldn't get over the fact that they lived in a nice house. Right, right, right. And so they were not sympathetic to them having any personal problems or a history with right. their parents because they seemed to be doing okay because they could afford to live in this house. Even though they're going bankrupt in, in the movie and are clearly about to lose the house. Because I'm hitting some nerve of entitlement or, or something where someone's like, you're not allowed to talk about right. your problems. There's bigger problems, so don't talk about your problems. Of course. And which is fair because some people want to see a, a movie about those problems. And some people are like, nah, I, I don't care. There's more important things to right. deal with than how they're getting along. Right. It's interesting because like you gave me this great note after you saw the show, which I'm, I've been writing to, and I'll pitch you some of the stuff today, which is you said you you wrote the show about death and mortality and you have a ton of jokes about it. And I'm going to paraphrase, but you basically said like, you really ought to dig in to why you want to live. Because the more you want to live and can express that in an elegant and funny way, the more the audience is going to invest in the journey of you wanting to live. And I, I, I passed that on to my director, Seth Barish, and he loved that note. And I've just been writing to it ever since. Um, well, some, you know, some, it's funny. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it was Rick Overton and Greg Fitzsimmons. Yeah. And Rick Overton was saying, you know, he, he wants to live to be, you know, 100. He's, he's looking to... Take it as far as he can go. Yeah. And he, he was really funny just saying, you know, I'm trying to be healthy and I want to go as far, <laughs> you know, as long as we can take this. And and Greg Fitzsimmons was like, yeah, 83 is good. <laughs> okay. And he had his reasons for, for that. But it's a real thing. Some yeah. people, you know, they're exercising all day long mm -hmm. because that's all they're thinking about yeah. is maxing out life extension. Sure. And other people are like, you know, I like my hamburger. You sure. And I don't want to live that long or I'd like my drink or whatever makes me less healthy or I don't like jogging. Yeah. And I'm happy to live yeah. shorter. I don't want to so be on an elliptical machine. Exactly. Yeah. And who are you doing it for? Are you doing it for yourself? Are you doing it for your family so you are around to right. accomplish your goals, to just exist? And that area seemed interesting to me to hear from you. Yeah. You know, because a, a lot of, uh, you know, the show is about having other people have medical problems yeah. and how you perceived yeah. that. Because I think about that sometimes. One grandfather, I had a heart attack at 65, the other at 72. Yeah. And I always think, is that my clock? <laughs> and then I think, but they liked ice cream <laughs> and they like liquor. Yeah. And is that the clock? Right, right. But you are aware of it. And does that mean no ice cream? No, I know. I like ice cream. Can I do that? Two days a week of hard ice cream, and I'll oh avoid God. that. How long do you want to live? I have two fears, dying and living forever. <laughs> I, have, I have a fear, which is I'm going to be the last of the generation that doesn't live forever. Yes, I always think about that, I'm like, too. I'm I'm, like, and we are, by the way, we are just going to so miss close, it. Right? We're, no, we're definitely, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss by, like, what, 10 years, 20 years? Yeah, or even less. It's going to be so close. Like people who are 20 now, do you think they'll be the live forevers? Yeah, it's, it's entirely possible. Oh, well, the live forever basically means uh, 150, 200 uh, years. That you may not die of natural causes. Oh, my gosh. And so you spend your entire life not trying to not get hit by a car. Oh, my gosh. And that that's. It's like. You have to be now physically safe because you could, you could heal the diseases, but you can't, you know, fall off a cliff. It's a little bit Groundhog Day. It is. It is. And I, I think that's a little bit of, of a scary life. Oh, I to think be it's worried about you know accidentally getting decapitated, but you know, and nothing else is going to get you except like an incident. Yeah. So a lot of people will be in their houses, protecting it, themselves. It also raises this issue of like, it's like, so how long do you want to live at a certain age? You know, because I have yeah. this joke, Greg. I'm I'm forty, you know, forty three, exactly halfway through my life. Not technically, not everyone dies at eighty six, but no one's ever like eighty through a hundred. Those are the years. Exactly. They're okay. like I was. I was eighty three. <laughs> I reached for a grape and I never walked again. You know, like that's not fun. But you do meet those people, who are great, and you just try to imagine that that could happen. Like yeah. I was friends with Norman Lloyd, who was in train wreck, and he died at one hundred and six. Oh my gosh, and. I think doing really well till about 104 and a half. Wow. Where he was, you know, reasonably healthy. Yeah, and clear. I remember meeting him. He, looked, he was great. And hilarious. Yeah. Uh, although 
I, I remember I was having lunch with him and I knew to treasure him. <laughs> yes. He's friends with Charlie Chaplin. I to treasure him. I mean, he was a special, he's like a time traveler. He's yeah, yeah. coming from, a, like he could tell you stories about the depression. Oh my God. Firsthand and Babe Ruth. Wow. And, and, I, and I really enjoyed being around him and I would take people out to lunch with him. Yeah. You know, people, you know, we had a great lunch with uh, Howie Mandel and Ed Begley from St. Elsewhere, yeah. the show he was on. But, but, and he was always so funny. Yeah. And in a great mood. Like once he heard his leg and I said, how do you hurt your leg? And he goes, it's from kicking too much ass. Oh my God. I mean, really hilarious. So funny. Guy. <laughs> but at one lunch, he just, I, I forgot off of what, just went, everybody's dead. Oh gosh. Everybody. And you, you realize that's the other side of it. When, you, when you're 106. Wow. Not only is everyone dead, Everyone's been dead for like 30 years. That's the, that's the phrase my brother Joe always says, every 100 years, all new people. You know that one? You ever hear that phrase? <laughs> yes. That's every 100 years, all new people. I'll, I'll, I'll remember. I'll put that in my diary. I'm going to step away from my conversation with Judd Apatow to send a shout out to my friends at Spindrift Sparkling Water. Ooh. Ooh, I love having them as a sponsor. I love, I love me some Spindrift sparkling water because it's so simple. The same way I like jokes. I like my sparkling water the way I like jokes. Simple. <laughs> and funny. Hu humorous. And short. And economical. Um, it's the first sparkling water made with real squeezed fruit. Nothing artificial. No natural flavors, added sugars, or artificial sweeteners. And did you know you can order Spindrift to be delivered to your house or office? Did you know that? You go to drinkspindrift.com and enter code BIGS and you'll get 25% off your order. That is a great deal. And also, Spindrift just introduced Spindrift Spiked. It's the cleaner twist on hard seltzer made with the same real ingredients as Spindrift and each has less than 100 calories. Four flavors, lime, half and half, orange mango, and pineapple. Spindrift Spiked is available in Massachusetts, Southern California, and Rhode Island. Ooh, Joe will get it. And now, back to the show. So the note that you gave me that essentially it was like, why do you want to live? Why do you like sort of like what what makes you feel joy and that kind of thing? And I'm I want to pose that to you. What what do you feel like in your life gives you the most joy? What are memories you have where you're like, oh my gosh, if I could just put that in a time capsule? Well, my kids are now in the beginning of like next stage. Yeah, of, yeah. You know, college and college beyond. and out of the house and yes. working. And so that's what you think of. Yeah. You might just think of, the, you know, the dinner of the four of us just laughing. Yeah. To, about something. When you, when you really get down to it, I, and for me, I, I think of like being stuck in a house in the pandemic. Yeah. I, I'm already, you know, rewriting it as the best year of our lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at a moment when neither of them would have hung out with us. Yeah. They were with they us were every day for yeah. the year. Yeah, yeah. And when I think about what we did, it's everything that I couldn't get them to do before, like sitting around and playing board games oh, yeah, and, sure. and watching movies and just doing silly things together. I hear because, this from a lot of parents with college-age kids. Yeah. Is they go, I got to spend all this time with my kids, and it was awesome. And that's like the secret of it. Like, we love you're here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's the thing that. And meanwhile, they're like, yeah. this is the worst year of my life. <laughs> I have to spend all this time with my parents. <laughs> I'm playing board games. How many pizzas can we make? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's what I, I, I think about, you know, time, you know, time with my family and not like the, the, the adventures. Yes. You know, just the, the small things. So. So what I wrote down is, um, do you have a do you have a memory in your life where you thought, and this is sort of a slow round question, is you know what's funny about the slow round in the show is that it sort of is dramaturgical. Like mm -hmm. it's the same kind of thing as you're you're just provoking memories and thoughts that sort of might end up being yeah. pieces of writing eventually. Mm -hmm. Do you have a memory of a doing something in your life where you thought this is exactly where I'm meant to be and what I'm meant to be doing? Uh, 
I mean, in terms of the work side of it, because as a kid, I always had a feeling I this is not the good times. Oh, interesting. That they will come later. Yeah. And I'm going to get through this. Yeah. And then I will be where I'm supposed to be. And, yeah. And so just purely on the work side of life, uh, there's definitely moments where like people are funny. You're trying to crack the code of yeah. something. Yeah. And it, and it just starts making you laugh and all cylinders are firing. Yeah. And you think, I mean, I wouldn't have had that specific thought, but that is what it is. Like, it's working. And it could be comedy. It could be Craig Robinson and Leslie, you know, having their fight when he's the doorman and knocked yes. up. And it's just making you laugh. And you know it's right. And... It's so funny because I think that's what unites like both comedians and comedy nerds, fans of comedy, which I would describe you and I as both. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> both comedians and fans of comedy is it's this, because my memories are like laughing with audiences and also laughing with my wife and daughter yeah. and laughing with my siblings. And like, those are my memories. It's all laughing. It's like, what is laughing? Well, laughing is someone points out the absurdity of this whole damn thing yes. in this way that you just go, oh my God, this yeah. is insane. Like I remember I, I saw Janine Garofalo at a wedding, at uh, my friend Tom Martin's wedding. And she said, Judd, it's so weird to see you because I had this like psychic vision of you. I forgot if she said it was a dream or not. Yeah. And I was single and miserable at the time. And she's like, where you're with this incredible woman and your family and you're really happy. Yeah. And she's and she's like, I get those sometimes. I get like little psychic, Aww. you know, images. And, and every once in a while I think, this is the Janine image. Oh. Janine has been proven correct. Wow. That's what, yeah. Jen has that where you cast me as a dad in Trainwreck before I was a dad. And she found it to be sort of a prophetic casting. Yeah. <laughs> And are you the dad in life that you were in Trainwreck? I'm not that dissimilar. I mean, I'll I'll, um, I'll actually segue that into some material that I have about Una because when I, I I have this joke that I feel like I want to get into the show somewhere, which is um, I recently started a gratitude journal, and so far it's empty, but uh, <laughs> no, but it's uh, so much of it is about my daughter Una. Like for example, like one day I wrote like Una learned. Uh, so much about dinosaurs that she seemed to delight in asking me and Jen what we knew about, let's say, the Lambiosaurus. <laughs> and when we didn't know anything, she would be thrilled. <laughs> I'm thrilled as she would be, uh, She'd be like, a duck-billed dino with a large skull. It's an herbivore, so it only eats plants. And we'd, we'd get defensive. <laughs> we'd point out that we know what herbivores are. Then we privately studied our dinosaur facts so we could prove ourselves superior to our five-year-old daughter. We quashed the dinosaur rebellion of 2020, but with, not, not without a fight. It was an intellectual locking of horns between a velociraptor and a protoceratops. <laughs> that was something I jotted in my notebook recently. Oh, that's hysterical. But like stuff like that, where uh, this is the, the couple things I wrote down that were in that universe of like joy, which is like sure. I, I wrote like um, one day Una took a ukulele class with her her teacher Miss Coco, and they wrote a dinosaur song together, and the lyrics were. Diplodocus, Apatosaurus, <laughs> and that's the chorus. <laughs> that's pretty good. And to hear my daughter sing and play a song she wrote about dinosaurs was, to use a cliche, I mock the most joy I've ever experienced. Yeah. And, and laid to rest the age-old songwriter's debate of whether any word could successfully be rhymed with Apatosaurus. <laughs> and I, you know, people always talk to me about Apatosaurus. What? Because it's spelled like my oh, name. Oh, yeah. It's, That's so funny. Isn't that funny? Is, yeah, exactly. I get like people send me pictures of them all the time. That's absurd. You know, what I, I got to set you up on a general with my daughter. We could talk, talk about, about dinosaurs. dinosaurs. <laughs> well, I'm working on a movie with dinosaurs in it, so I have <laughs> questions for her. Uh, but that is the thing is that like, the, when the kids are young, they don't have any part of them that thinks they shouldn't be writing songs about dinosaurs. And at some point, oh, some yes. people, they stop. Yes. And, and I feel like in this work, what we're basically 
basically trying to do is to continue to write the dinosaur song. To be silly and play. And to be to be in that yeah. vibe. And and there's a moment where kids, someone discourages them. Like You're 100% right. Like, it's Garden of Eden stuff. You're 15 years old, stop writing songs about dinosaurs. When, if someone did right now, you know, we would love it. If, uh, you know, uh, if Billie Eilish wrote a dinosaur song. Right, or Jack Antonoff or, or, or Jack Black. Yeah. Any of these people, exactly. they wrote a dinosaur song, we'd be thrilled. Yeah. But you know what's funny about that is, and, and that's Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden is they're naked, and at a certain point they feel shame. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of a great metaphor for becoming an adult. Yeah. Is you start to feel shame about things. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you don't actually have to. And I feel like comedians are trying to hold on to the childlike yeah. brain impulses of yeah. like, no, we can do anything. We can sing a song about dinosaurs, doesn't matter. I, I remember I, I was in uh, Japan, I visited some Buddhist temple and there was a monk there showing us around and, and he was explaining Buddhism to my kids. And he said, when you're young, when you're a child, you realize that everyone is your friend. And when you're an adult, sometimes you forget. Oh my gosh. You're killing me. <laughs> and oh. that's it. That, that he goes, that's all it is. <sighs> yeah. But, but that's the dinosaur song. You're in that spirit. And that's then, beautiful. That's, um, if you could run with that and say that that's your original quote and start a cult. <laughs> Stepping away from my conversation with Judd Apatow to send a shout-out to Bomba Socks. First of all, Bomba Socks, I'm already sold on the company. Uh, they make socks. They're super comfortable. They're fantastic. On top of that, they give a pair uh, of their socks to homeless shelters for every pair that you purchase from them. The amount that they have done this is somewhere in the universe of like 45 million pairs of socks. That's it. I'm sold. I'm done. I'm done. I, I don't wear any other socks anymore. On top of that, Bomba's performance socks have taken all the amazing innovations that make Bomba's the most comfortable socks you've ever worn and added their special Hextech performance technology. Uh, they come in different styles for every sport, specific design features to help optimize performance. They're fantastic. Try them. I love them. It's all I wear. Go to bombas.com slash burbigs today. Get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash burbigs for 20% off. And now, back to the show. And then I, a couple other things I wrote down in the sort of joy category about Una is um, I wrote, I, I recently taught Una how to play soccer. And based on Jen's recommendation, I pivoted to me and Una being on the same team because I learned that it's nicer to score a goal with your daughter than to defeat her by a margin of 15 to 1. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that happens where, where you're trying to teach your kid tennis and you're like, I guess I have to lose? Well, we, Jen, Una and I right have now? these frank conversations about it. She goes, no, you try your hardest. And I'm yeah. like, well, I can. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I was playing tennis. I, I play tennis at the same place when I go on vacation with the same people for decades. Yeah. And we would play these games. Yeah. Right. And one of the games is they give me like a seven point lead and you play to 21. Yeah. Something like that. And most of the time I win. And only this time did I realize that they've been letting me win for 20 oh years. Oh my gosh. Wow. I, I, it never even occurred to me that every mistake he made was on purpose. Yeah. And that he was also pacing it. Yeah. So I would win at the last moment. That's absurd. <laughs> this is absurd. It's like tennis fantasy camp for movie producers. And I'm buying it at like an idiot. Like, I beat this guy. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and then uh, this is, uh, gosh, there's a whole bunch of stuff I have about, um, well, you know, the whole I love you thing in the show, right? is basically that, like, my family doesn't say I love you. They say take care. Yeah. But Still? Yeah. And take, I talk about this on stage. And do you ever say it to challenge it? Okay. This is where I wrote this bit yesterday. This is just a quick, it's, it's actually not even a full bit. Um, I try to challenge myself to be the bigger person. Because mm -hmm. I say in the show, I go, like, <laughs> it, it's from the top down. 
Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like it's not like your parents say like, take yeah. care and you go, I love you. You know, like that would be a desperate. Um, but here's a, on Mother's Day this year, I said to my mom, I go, mom, I really, I'm on the phone with her. I really appreciate you. And there's a long silence. And then she goes, bye now. <laughs> and that was the end. <laughs> bye now. <laughs> I'm like, did she not hear me? Amazing. Um, but and, and she's an amazing mom. But if you looked her in the eye and say, Mom, I just want you to know I love you, what would come back in person? She'd say, I love you. She'd yeah. say, I love yeah. you. She, and I think she, that that's what I have to do. That is, but do you ever do it? No, no, no. I, I try to do things like this. That I appreciate you. But I think do you maybe feel I'll, like if you did it, it would be confrontational? Like on some level, it's an act of hostility to try to change the paradigm. Well, what's so, fun, what's so funny is they live in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and uh, I've lived there for at least 20 years. And I'm performing at the Cape Cod Melody Tent, first place I ever saw comedy when I was uh, in high school. I saw Stephen Wright live. Wow. Changed my life. And I just thought, I'm going to do that. I'm performing at the Cape Cod Melody Tent. My parents may choose to go or to not go. And then they're going to see all this material. Like, what, I, I, what are they going to think of me being like, my parents don't say, yeah. I love you. Well, I, but could you say to your mom beforehand, I'm writing this thing about it? And would she be like, yeah, it's weird we do that? Or would she feel upset? No, she wouldn't be upset. I think she would be open to the conversation. It would be awkward. But I think it would go back to sort of like, her Irish upbringing in Buffalo yeah. and that like there was yeah. a, like a lot was subtextual and wasn't spoken and yeah. that because kind of thing. It's, uh, I think this is what- She's I'm, so loving by the way. I mean, she's one of the warmest people yeah. I've ever encountered in my life. But this is what I find most interesting about storytelling is not saying I need that, right? Yeah. Uh, just reveal so much about a person, about humanity that it, that you, if you said to your mom, from now on, every single time <laughs> yeah, I see you, yeah, I'm going to say yeah. I love you and I need you to say it back, yeah. your mom would do it. And she might love doing it, but still, it is terrifying on, for reasons which are hard to explain to sit someone down and do that. Have you ever done that? Confronted someone on like, you know what? It would be nice if we said I love you or it would be nice no, if we No, but this. my sister started saying it, I don't know how many years ago, but not that many years ago. And I just thought, and I the first time I made me a little uncomfortable because I, in my head I'm still like eight. Yeah. And then I went, oh, in my head I thought, oh, that's nice. I guess we're going to roll with this. And then the other day I just thought like, oh, I felt like completely comfortable. That's nice. With it. But I felt like she on some level made the choice without asking, like, I would Is like okay? to communicate this feeling yeah. to you. And so I went right with it. But we didn't have the conversation about it. I don't say I love you to my brother Joe, and we're yeah. probably as close as, you know, I say to my wife, say to my yeah. daughter, I don't say to my brother Joe or my sister Gina, my sister Patty, we're as close as anybody in yeah. the world, you know, as close as anybody I am to anyone in the world. And it's just bizarre. Um, but I think it just, I mean, I guess it's habit at a certain yeah. point, but I, th- I like this idea of like attempting to break the cycle. <laughs> yeah. Well, you find them more like adult friends say it now. Well, I say it to you. Yeah. Sometimes when we're yeah. on, the, on the phone, I'll say, I love you. Um, I'll say it to John. Like, I'll say it to a few of my close friends. Yeah. Um, and more and more as we get older. Our friend Pete Holmes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because all, yeah, as we get older and also like, yeah, you, it, and this is what the themes of the Old Man in the Pool show are in progress that you saw is, is this theme of like, you start to realize that life is fleeting and that anyone can go at any moment. Yeah. And they really can. I mean, I don't even know how to talk about this in the show yet. I mean, I might talk about it. It's like, you know, my my friend Mitch Hedberg passed at 37. Uh, Greg Giraldo passed, I think, at 43. And it's like, they're gone. And that's it. Anything that I wanted to ask them, I can't. Anything that I wanted to say to them, I can't. Mm. And those people can be anybody in your life. Yeah. And can you think that through so deeply that you actually adjust how you communicate with people and move through the world and treat people so that you've learned that that lesson? Yeah. Uh, That's why in Buddhism they they say, you know, you're supposed to like meditate on your rotting corpse. 
Oh, interesting. On your own rotting corpse. Yeah. As though you had yeah. passed. Yeah. Or, or on anyone, just to be in the moment, to yeah. be present, to appreciate what's happening right now. Yeah. Because it's easy to just let it drift and not have those conversations. But if you thought about that, maybe you would go deeper with somebody or you would tell somebody how you feel about them because you're you're aware that time is slipping away, but it's easier to just go to Big Gay Ice Cream and have a <laughs> large cone than to force yourself to acknowledge uh, the universe. So this is a thing I wrote in my book about about joy, which is one strange twist of having a kid is that people expect you to experience joy all the time. And like one day our neighbor spots me strolling our daughter Una and says like, is it the most joy you've ever experienced? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know, maybe, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't say it, I think it, I, I, I feel like saying it. I feel like saying like, I didn't experience joy before. I don't have to start <laughs> now. Don't impose your unrealistic expectations on me. I am a good dad, a decent dad, the number one dad in America, <laughs> according to several ceramic mugs. <laughs> but my dad did a decent job and he didn't experience joy. So I experienced joy. I'm starting to understand that joy in a new way, which is to say there's light joy mm -hmm. and there's dark joy. <laughs> and light, light joy is eating watermelon in the summertime. Dark joy is smoking pot through a watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> Light joy is when a puppy licks your face. Dark joy is when a lady at a bar licks your face. <laughs> Light joy is flying a kite at a beach. Dark joy is having sex on a broken kite. Yeah. <laughs> Light joy is watching YouTube videos of cats. Dark joy is watching water slide accidents. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, uh, you know. I'm, well, because it's a mixed bag. It is. And the funny thing is when you're a parent, you go to these places like, classes, you know, when, when your kids are little, maybe it's kindergarten, maybe it's like a dance Dancing class. Dancing or singing, whatever it is, yeah. And there's, you know, there's some parents that really want to have the conversation with you about how miserable they are raising their kids just to get it out of their system. Yes. They may love it, but they have to say to someone like, oh, my kid is such an asshole. Right. Like, and then, and, and you have that moment where we have to let out the bad part that we're tired and frustrated right. and we don't know if we're doing a good job. And then there's other parents that you might go, oh, my kid's such an asshole today. They look at you like you just took a bat to your kid's life. Sure. Like they, they, they have no call space social services for that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. This person is worrisome. Yeah. Let's get them on a list. Yeah. And you find that you develop a friend to complain to. Yeah. And maybe, sometimes it can't be your spouse. Like you just need a friend to to like spout your your worst and maybe your darkest jokes about it. Sure. To to get through it. Okay. So then I wrote, and this is again, this is all in response to I started culling together things I'd written in the last year. I started culling together things where like I'm experiencing joy in my life. Cause I do experience joy in my life. And I think that one of the things you're saying is like, it's like how can we feel that as an audience member? Yeah. So that when you are making positive choices at the end, we know to what end yeah. that well, is. Well, I, I feel also there's certain joy that, it's like when you talk about positive joy, that's healthy. Yes. And then there's numbing joy. Sure. Right? So like, like I could sit here and go, you know what, I'm gonna get Shake Shack tonight. <laughs> and literally buy four hamburgers and yeah. two shakes and yeah. four fries and sit here and you know watch pen 15 by myself yeah. and have the greatest yeah. night of my life out of a numbing like that I'm afraid to be in the flying a kite escapism space yeah. but that uh you know it's like a the drug addict part of me which is usually related to food right you know it feels like joy. Yeah. Until you, you, you pay it's the price for I think it. It's, I think it's synthetic joy, though. Because yeah. I talk a lot about being addicted in the show, being addicted to fries and sugar yeah. and pizza and macaroni yeah. and cheese. But it's like, I don't think that's joy. Yeah. Or is it? Who can, who can say? Who can say? Because if I say it is joy, then I can do it more. If I say I'm slowly killing myself, maybe I won't. <laughs> <laughs> and it's hard to say, it's hard for me to acknowledge that taking a long walk today I can get to some sort of joy. Yeah. It doesn't feel like the McDonald's. Right. And on some level, I have to train myself that it's as good, but it's it's a tough competition. The McDonald's 
is slowly beginning to lose, and I don't really do that anymore. Like I have to say, during the pandemic, I know this sounds lame and corny, but I would take two-hour walks every morning, the whole I pandemic. Did, same. I, I take walks every day. I take at least an hour to two every day. And halfway through, I started noticing trees. <laughs> That's funny. And I would notice that trees were pretty in this yeah, yeah, And yeah. then I started taking pictures of the trees. Sure. Then suddenly I noticed birds. Yeah. And one day I was with Leslie and we were at a restaurant and there were these birds kept flying over. And I started taking like slow motion video of the birds. Yeah. And Leslie's like, you're a bird guy now? You're a bird guy now. I but became it, a bird guy because but it was, of Una. It was like realizing like what matters right. in some way. But then I thought, I'm 53 years old. It took me 53 years to appreciate a tree. Yeah, it's That's why I'm wondering if my, when my kids leave and now that they're basically adults, if all that goes away yeah. and I stop noticing all of it, you stop thinking about the birds things and you you go into some other phase. But I think it was, I have these like t- uh, mind writing slogans on the wall to help inspire my writing. And I, I, um, I think it's Allen Ginsberg that says, uh, notice what is vivid. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a simple note. Yeah. Notice what's vivid. I want these mind things on your wall. <laughs> I need you to take a picture of your wall. Mind writing notes. The, uh, no, it's, it, it really is um, such a simple thing, which is just notice stuff. The yeah. trees, the weather, it, the, the birds, the flowers. It's that's, all. I mean, that's mindfulness. Yeah. Because I have one other thing about my dad's giving me advice, which is good. Giving you advice. Well, you know, you're not really clear about what happened with your dad's health issues and heart issues. You know, someone else made that point the other day. So we're which all, is, he's okay. He's yeah. okay. He's 80. Yeah. And so the, and so the history sick. of that is interesting. Is that yeah. you're in a panic about it. Yeah. Did you say he had heart attacks? He had heart attacks. Like three but, heart attacks. Yeah. But, but yeah, the first one was major. The second two were minor. But like, and he's alive. He's okay. But someone else said that to me the other day. They came to the show and they go, uh, is your dad okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is. And you want to I mean, know he's 80. what you took from the fact that he survived yeah. and, and thrived uh, or, or how it changed his life. Right. And, and, and did you think it was just genetic or was there something he neglected to ha- that led to heart problems? Well, I think, you know, and I, I, I recently am trying to sort of deal with that, which is speaks to the food thing we were just talking about, which is like he eats terribly. I mean, I eat terribly. My dad eats worse than that. Yeah, still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, that's hilarious to just take like your yeah. bad eating post three heart attacks. I mean, it's a certain type of personality. Yes. Because I have these conversations with my dad. Yeah. Like, dad, you drinking water? <laughs> Yeah, I don't really like water, but you can't just drink Pepsi, Dad. You got to drink water. I keep reading articles about water. You know, uh, uh, I'm always like sending my dad exercise equipment. Just yeah. like send him the mirror or the Peloton. Oh, my gosh. Uh, because basically you, you, you're just trying to get them to not eat potato chips. Right. Dad, if you stopped eating potato chips, it'd probably really help. How old's your dad? 78. 78, yeah. yeah. My dad's 80, and it's like... I mean, God, God bless him. That's great. That's a great age to live to. And then at some point you're like, maybe his diet works for our body type. And by the way, also sometimes like maybe it works. And also like maybe he didn't do such a bad job. Like parenting, I'm so critical in my shows of my dad's parenting, but it's like my siblings are fantastic. My yeah. brother and sisters are fantastic. Yeah. So it's like, well, you guys they, all get along. Yeah, and they're lovely people, and they're funny and sweet. And well, that's an interesting irony of the family that doesn't say "I love, yeah, I love you to each other," but all really love each other and get along. Yeah, and, and are there for each other. And We're, so, what does it mean? Yeah, is it just some sort of uh, cliche to say "I love you"? Right. Maybe you should go anti "I love you." Maybe you should talk about the benefits of not saying I love you because it so clearly worked for your family. Like we're putting too much pressure on each other. Do we even mean it? Yeah, yeah. Maybe take care is Maybe a better it's the phrase. Answer. Maybe take care is the answer. Because you are taking care. Yeah, yeah. Um, here's what I have, which is I taught my daughter how to play soccer and to use the same cliche, again, that I've mocked for years. It's the most joy I've ever experienced. <laughs> And she's, she's, you know, she runs fast, she kicks hard, she dribbles well, 
through my rose-colored glasses estimation, she is the best <laughs> six-year-old soccer player in America, <laughs> which means objectively, she's about average. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but she loves it, which is the most important part. Um, and one of the pieces of wisdom my father handed down to me that was handed down from his father was this rhetorical question he's asked me since I was in high school, which is, are you having any fun? Mm-hmm. And it's intended to be a friendly reminder. If you're not having fun, you might want to reconsider what you're doing. But it's tough advice to accept from someone who never seems like he's having any fun, <laughs> uh, given to someone who only seems to be having fun every once in a while. Yeah, and that's I've, a great one. Yeah, yeah it's fun, yeah, right? Any, you're having any fun. You're having any fun. Well, also, yeah, you do think your kids are good at things. And years later, you laugh because you're like, I don't think she was that good at that. Yeah, and I always feel that way about my kids on everything. I mean, I mean this voice when she sings. But there are yeah. certain things where you realize they're terrible. Like Maud was, you know, playing uh, basketball when she was like nine. Yeah, and we, we're not a sports family. Yeah, I, I will admit that I just don't want her to uh, be around parents. Mm. And fans of uh, the super game. competitive. I just like I, I don't and, and I don't like s- sports, and I also don't want to go anywhere. I don't want my kid to have a talent that makes me go to Bakersfield, <laughs> and I don't want to go to tournaments. So I'm always oh discouraging uh, that part of them, so that purely selfish reasons. So, so I don't have to deal with it. And but then she took basketball, and then there was a girl on her team. And they're like nine. Pilar. By the way, you saying took basketball is uh, the <laughs> like most a, like indicative thing. <laughs> she took basketball. Like what? She, she played How little do you know about sports the that you saying the phrase took basketball? <laughs> so she takes a basketball game. <laughs> and, and this girl, Pilar, is good. But it's funny when you're eight or nine. And the funniest thing is this girl never passed the ball. So the oh, ball yeah. would get to ball her. Hug. And, but but seeing the most adorable miniature yeah. vicious ball hog, yeah, yeah, and then you go home and then as a parent you're like fucking Pilar, yeah, yeah, and you're, you're furious, so mad. Furious. you're so mad, yeah, oh, yeah, man. someone's got to talk to Pilar, yeah, yeah, should we talk to her parents? Yeah, I mean they're not getting a shoot at all, so, yeah, Pilar, we need to speak with the, the fact uh, that I remember her name shows you how upset we, we need were. to war we we need <laughs> to warn the referee before the game that Pilar is going to be trying to pull some shit. How much money are we paying for this damn basketball? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you gotta tell Pilar, my kid's not learning how to play. My daughter is taking basketball. <laughs> She's taking some basketball. She's class. taking basketball. Okay, so the end of that is a, is so I we I end up in a rabbit hole of soccer videos with my daughter. Um, the first of which, by the way, was I at first it was Diego Maradona and Pele, all this mm-hmm. stuff that I grew up on. Yeah. And one day, this is mortifying. My daughter goes, Dad. Do girls play soccer too? <gasps> yeah. You asshole. I know. And I go, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And so. This is the age of. No, I forget. No. Soccer. No, no, trust me. Trust me. I, it, kill, it crushed me. She no longer knows that men play soccer. Yeah. Like, like you fixed it. I showed her hundreds of hours of, of, of women's soccer and like so much. And she doesn't yeah. watch men's soccer anymore. Like, it's out. It's out. It's yeah. out. It was a huge oversight of my fault, yeah. my part. It was just based on my own upbringing, Maradona, yes. Yeah, you remember Pele. Pele. Right. So, so I show her the 2019 World Cup uh, extended highlights from the quarterfinals, semifinals against France, England, and the Netherlands. And when the Netherlands loses 2-0, the Dutch players are crushed (laughs) because they lost. And Una says to me, Dad, is it sad for them? And I go, yeah, it's sad for them. She says, because they lost? (laughs) Yeah, because they lost. Um, Una says, it's sad to lose. And I say, yeah, it's sad to lose, but it's fun to play. And this was my generational handoff of, are you having any fun? So the thing that we uh, we always end on on the show, and this is uh, something that's close to your heart, I know, because I've done a lot of benefits with you for mm-hmm. countless uh, causes. When we started this show, initially it was tip your wait staff. We were raising money for comedy club wait staffs that were out of work. And then when we we made it working it out, we thought, well, let's keep a nonprofit component where we're yep. giving to a different organization each week. And I have to say, like, 
it's been a great uh, a great thing for just shining a light on different organizations. And I know you work with a, a lot of uh, nonprofits. And so who do you want to shine a light on today? Uh, well, I put out these books of interviews with comedians. I'm finishing up the second one now, but it's called Sick in the Head. And we give the money to 826. And 826 is, is a, a tutoring and literacy center. And they're in a bunch of locations around the country. Mm -hmm. And basically, it's a place where kids can go, and there are people there waiting to tutor them for That's free. Right. Yep. In addition, you know, they, they'll publish books. They'll get all the kids to write poetry or short stories and teach yeah. them. And, and then they'll make the books. And wow. it, it's really important because a lot of people can't afford to get that kind of support. Yep. And, you know, when you read, it just opens up your eyes to how you want to be as a person. Mm -hmm. and, and Dave Eggers started this, and it's been really uh, great to be around it at all. And so I'm just finishing up my interviews to put out this book in, that's in, in May that supports all of these centers. Well, I'm, I'm going to contribute to them. And um, I've contributed to them actually in the past. When, our, when me and Jen's book came out, we contributed mm -hmm. to them. And uh, yeah, it's a great, great, great organization. And uh, thanks, Judd, for coming back. This is like wildly helpful. And in a year from now, in a year from now, yes. I'm not even kidding, in a year from now, we're going to probably be having a similar conversation about that version of the show. Working it out, because it's not done. Working it out, because there's no That's going to do it for another episode of Working It Out with Judd Apatow. Holy cow, I have done a ton of writing since this episode. So I've actually, I'm already implementing his notes, and you, I feel like you're going to hear some of those reflected in the upcoming episodes. And, uh, and, and, and definitely when you see me on tour uh, this fall, for all those tour dates going on, birdbigs.com, sign up for the mailing list. That is where it is all at, is the mailing list. Uh, thanks for listening. If you want to follow Judd, he's at Judd Apatow on Twitter. He's at Judd Apatow on Instagram. Uh, I can't thank him enough for joining me today. Our producers of Working It Out are myself, along with Peter Salamone and Joseph Berbiglia. Consulting producer Seth Barish. Uh, sound recordist was J.N. Wang. Uh, we were in person. I think this is the first one in person where both people are in the same room. Sound mixed by Kate Polinsky, associate producer Mabel Lewis. Special thanks to my consigliere, Mike Berkowitz, as well as Marissa Hurwitz and Josh Upfall. Special thanks, as always, to Jack Antonoff and Bleachers for their music. And a very special thanks to my wife, Jay Hopestein. Our book, The New One, as you know, is at your local bookstore. And look out for our, our virtual paperback comedy event, uh, September 10th. And reach out to your local bookstore and see if they want to get involved for free. It doesn't cost them anything. As always, a special thanks to my daughter, Una, who created our radio for Thanks for adding your user reviews on Apple Podcasts. It helps so much. It is the best way to tell your friends. It's the best way to tell your enemies. We're working it out. See you next time, everybody.